Good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? Yeah. Good morning. Got people getting married, people getting new organs. That's a good morning. I mean, come on. So uh, hopefully I won't rain on this awesome parade this morning. Ruin. What's the good things that have happened? So we better pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, and we ask you to come and do more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, I want to uh, talk about uh, how, how we wait today. And I feel like everything that's happened this morning is very well orchestrated. How many of you guys are waiting for something that you've been praying for for a long time? Right? Okay. Good. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're all probably waiting for something. This is Rembrandt's picture of Paul in prison. Paul uh, was arrested in uh, somewhere around 57 AD in Jerusalem. And he was handed back and forth, religious authorities, governmental authorities, almost beaten, pulls out the Roman citizenship card, isn't beaten. And, you know, then he spends his time speaking before kings and governors and all these things. But he's still a prisoner. And finally, he appeals to Caesar, saying, well, I want to go to Rome then, and appeal to Caesar directly. So they put him on a boat, and they eventually get to Rome. And he's still a prisoner. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul had gone all over the place and established all these different churches all over. He's a spiritual father to thousands of people. Thousands. And I was thinking a little bit about how we might feel. Now, I, I came... I, my wife and I arrived here four and a half years ago, and it was shortly after our founding pastor himself had gotten out of prison. Some of you don't know the story. It was a story of a, a terrible injustice, but the faithfulness of God all the way through. He shouldn't have gone to prison. It was this, this awful thing. Um, but the Lord had his hands on him, and for 10 months he was in federal prison. Um, now, what if... You, know, you guys who were here and, and walked through that with, with uh, Pastor John and Linda Gay and, and, and as a family, I want you to imagine that was an open-ended situation. What if he was just going to be in there basically forever unless something changed? How much would you have been pounding the heavens on his regard? Uh, you already were, I know. But like, you know what I mean? Like the, the intensity being ratcheted up there, like, will this ever end? Will he ever get out? That was Paul. He had done all these unbelievable things and opened the doors of the, of the church to the Gentiles and, and amazing things happened, unbelievable miracles, yet he's still in jail. So you know what they're doing? They're praying and they're praying and they're praying for freedom. His closest friends were probably, the, it was probably the church in Philippi. It was a very dear place in his heart because he had been there and, and an amazing thing had happened. He had actually been imprisoned and... That night, even though he, him and, and his buddy are in shackles there, what are they doing? They're singing worship songs in the middle of the night, and an earthquake comes, and they're set free. And then the jailer gets saved, and all these people get saved around, and everyone's glorifying God. The people of Philippi were there, and they saw that. They knew the testimony firsthand. They talked to the jailer who, who told the stories. All of these things were fresh. They remembered them. They remembered when they prayed and God came through, boom! And he delivered them. 
And now they've been praying for a while, and nothing's happened. We are going through in two home groups, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia. And we, as we uh, went through... The, the, there's, there's a particular uh, uh, instance in, in the book Prince Caspian. How many of you guys have read Narnia? All right. Maybe we'll do this again, to the home group again, because we're having a great time, both of them actually. There's a wonderful scene in, in the book Prince Caspian when the little girl Lucy, who, who's just, Lucy believes Aslan completely, and she's just, she's got this childlike faith because she is a child in him, and she, it, it, she sees Aslan, who represents Christ, and he calls her to himself, and no one listens to her, but she's saying, I see him over there, I see him, I gotta go to him, we have to go to him. No one else comes. Finally, she just goes in the middle of the night and finds him. And Aslan tells her, he says, daughter, now you need to go back and come again. You need to, come, you need to try to bring the others with you. And she's so sad, and she says this. She said, Aslan, I thought I could stay with you. I thought it was gonna be like before, when you came in, and you growled, and you scared all my enemies away. I thought it was going to be like before. And he says, daughter, things don't usually happen the same way twice. I think that's how the Philippians felt. Lord, I thought that you were going to growl, and the chains would fall off our father Paul, but they haven't fallen off yet. All he's gone is to a different place, and he's still in prison. And I thank you that he can have guests and preach to them, but that's Paul. He's the apostle to the entire Roman world, and he's still there. I thought that we were going to pray, and his chains were going to fall off, and everything was going to be okay. For years, they prayed and waited, and nothing happened. There's a story that Jesus tells about the persistent widow. From Luke 18. Now he was telling them a parable to show uh, that at all times, uh, whoops, excuse me, I went backwards accidentally, that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, <laughs> he's a very honest judge, here's what he says to himself, even though I don't fear God nor respect man. <laughs> it's kind of funny, I don't know how many people actually, yeah, forget it. It's the only one who thought that was funny. Um, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise she'll continue coming and she will wear me out, this woman. And the Lord said, hear what the, the unrighteous judge said. Hear what he said. He says he's going to give her justice anyway because she's so persistent. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, what's he saying here? This is one of these classic, like, if the evil guy does it, think how much more your heavenly Father who actually loves you is going to do it. It's a how much more parable. You see this? He's not an unrighteous judge. The unrighteous judge gives in just because of persistence sake, even though he has no care whatsoever in his heart for this woman. So what if you have a righteous God, a righteous father who loves this woman immensely? 
Do you think that he's going to listen? And he adds this. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's such an interesting sort of sudden change of direction here, but this is what he's saying. When I return, am I going to see people still asking? Or will they have given up? Will they find faith on earth? You see, I, faith here is represented by the asking. Do you see this? Or will the widow have given up? I think that uh, I, I think that we've oversimplified some ways that we think about the earth. I want you to read this quote by Mr. Lewis. Enemy-occupied territory, that is where this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. We live, isn't that good? It's good stuff. We live in enemy-occupied territory. We need to understand that. We don't live in a kingdom where everything is set and right yet. Therefore, there's all kinds of things that are still wrong and still going to be wrong until the final day is established. I think uh, uh, this analogy is awesome. I've given it here before. The cross is like D-Day. The second coming of Christ is going to be V-E Day. D-Day, when the Allied forces finally landed in Western Europe and were able to carve right through and finally defeat the Nazi forces. It took a while, but they landed. They had a beachhead, and from there on, the clock was ticking. It was only a matter of time before they were going to, to sweep through and occupy it all. But the final day has not come yet. The victory over Europe Day had not come until they actually went in and captured the heart of Germany. And in the same way, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to occupy all of the strongholds of the enemy. You know, the Jews in the first century misunderstood this. They had the timing wrong. They, they didn't realize there were two phases to this. They just thought he was going to come in and take on injustice, the particular political injustice that they were under. So they were expecting this, this new David to pull out his sword and go and slay Caesar and Herod and all these other people. And so they could once again have their, their full identity and they could be all that they thought they... But it was all about injustice to them, you see. And I wonder if today we, we make sort of the same mistake, just a little bit, when we think that because Jesus is here, then... Every single thing, every single injustice that we see will ultimately be eliminated. And, and we, we start getting really frustrated. I, it, see it this way. How many people do you know in your life? Don't raise your hand or call answers, but do you know people in your life who have walked away from God because of disappointment? Yeah, yeah, me too. In fact, I think most of the people, at least in America, who are agnostics or atheists have gone that direction simply because of disappointment. There's one man who's written a book about this whole idea, and he calls them wounded theists. They're people who, who were raised in the church, and they were pressing in for something. They had a mother who was sick, or a father who was sick, or a sister, and they, they pray and pray, and in the end, the person dies. And they say, well, he just must not be real. 
There's an expectation issue here. You see, when you're behind enemy lines, you understand that there's still carnage and there's still wreckage and there's still work to be done. Therefore, not every single thing that we see in this life is going to be taken care of. It's not until he comes back. Do you see what I'm saying? It's an expectation issue. I, how many of you guys have, have ever watched the, the, the miniseries called Band of Brothers? I almost never mention movies in here because invariably somebody will watch it and get really offended. There's a wonderful miniseries <laughs> called Band of Brothers. Put out. If you hadn't seen it, actually I recommend it. I'm just standing up here and saying I recommend you watch this. It's, uh, it's a very bloody portrayal of this, this uh, one unit in World War II, and you follow them from, it's, it's all a, a true story, well documented. They, they, they uh, were paratroopers uh, on D-Day. So you have all the guys sweeping onto the shores of Normandy, and you have thousands of these men who are actually parachuting behind enemy lines of the Nazis, and you watch what happens. And I was thinking about that, because the first couple of episodes deal with that situation and them coming down, and it's very raw and very violent. And so please, be forewarned if you watch this. It's a, true, it's a, it's a very realistic portrayal of war, but you see what these men had to do. They had to rely on one another. They had to band together. They had to love each other in the truest sense, and they knew they weren't all going to make it. They knew they were still going to, to have hard times. They knew they were going to have some defeats along the way. But you know what? They knew they were going to have victories as well. And I want to tell you, we are behind enemy lines. And just because we've had defeats, this in no way suddenly discounts the existence of a loving father. All this proves is that you're still in enemy-occupied territory. Do you see what I'm saying? But we oversimplify it so much when we see something that doesn't happen and we're tempted to give up. Don't give up, friends. Christ is going to come back. Will he find faith in this earth? Will he find us still asking or will he find that we've given up? That's what this story's about. How then do we wait? How do we wait? You're in this process. You've seen some good things happen. That's great. But you've got this big thing in your life, this really big thing. Might be an illness. Might be a financial situation. Very often it does involve somebody sick, somebody not being healed. What do you do about this situation? You can ignore it. You can pretend everything's fine. That's called denial. I don't recommend it. I really don't. So how do you live through it? Well, let's look at the Apostle Paul and how he dealt with this situation of not seeing breakthrough. Here is his advice to these people. Ready for this? It's a verse you've all read about a billion times. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He's saying, this is how we pray. 
Now, this is the man who said he's learned to, you know, live in plenty, and he's learned to live abased. He's learned to have wonderful success, and he's learned to live in the middle of abysmal failure. And still he's saying, you know what the key is? Just keep rejoicing. Does it sound like denial? It might at first, but it's not. It's in the midst of it. He sees you. This is why I never understand it while people say, you know, if somebody's really sick, oh, don't say they're sick. Well, they are. They are. God sees that they're sick. He understands it. It's okay to say, no, this is the situation. God, it's not like God heard it and now he's shocked by it. Oh, no. Oh, no. What am I going to do? No, he's not intimidated by sickness. He's not intimidated by these situations. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, in the midst of it, rejoice. In the midst of it, choose thanksgiving. And in the midst of it, ask again. Do you see that? I uh, have been thinking about all of these issues for a while now. For those who are visiting, I... Um, I have two sons that uh, both had severe complications. My one son, Sam, was born with a, a hole in his heart and had to have open heart surgery when he was six years old, or I'm six months old, excuse me. <laughs> He's not even six years old yet. Uh, and uh, so that's probably going to be a condition that he has to deal with his, his whole life. And, and there's been some like, things that have just concerned us again lately, and so I've been thinking about those. And then my other son, Jackson, has uh, severe autism and is, uh, for all intents and purposes, nonverbal. He doesn't speak to us except to... Uh, ask for something, ask for chips or ask for, you know, uh, watch cars or something. He's going, Disney picks our cars too. That's what he'll just walk into our room and say, Disney picks our cars too. We're like, okay, you want to watch cars. All right, we're good. <laughs> so, but that's the only kind of communication we ever get from. So it's, it's and he's, uh, he just turned eight years old. And that's uh, in particular been an incredibly difficult thing to not have communication and not have, have clear relationship. And so it's been one of these things uh, and uh, you guys have walked through this with us and been unbelievable and loved this boy and prayed with us and held our arms up and all these things. And uh, it's, it's been a, a question, how do, I, how do I deal with this? How do I wait for breakthrough? Because, you know, I can get to a place when it's like, oh, everything's good. We're all, you know, it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. I'm just happy where we are. And then suddenly something happens and it just cuts in deep and you realize how much you miss relationship with the son. And it can just break you down. And uh, in particular, I, I, think, I think this is a, a common issue on the one hand because it's, it's the sort of thing of like, uh, you know, there, there's something about uh, persistence. But then there's also this other side of don't come to the Lord just babbling on and on saying the same thing. We just, Pastor Joshua just talked about that two weeks ago. Don't just come in and be like, oh, Lord, Lord, please, Lord. We give a, Good morning, Lord, but you're going to heal my son, Lord. And you walk through the day, Lord, you didn't heal. You know, like, you can't be in that all the time. You just can't. And especially in this kind of situation. Because if I fixate on prayer too much for my son, you know what starts happening? I start getting so unbelievably discouraged. And I, I miss being able to appreciate him right here for who he, who he is, for, for what he has what he, you know what I'm saying? And it, it was such a confusing thing for me. And I, I would go around in circles. I talked a lot with Joshua about this sitting in his office. He'd be like, I don't know what, I honestly don't know how I'm supposed to live. Like, should I keep, is the problem that I haven't prayed enough? Because, man, we've prayed a lot. But have we just not 
taking authority loud enough. I started thinking, I think people use the word taking authority sometimes just meaning to pray louder. So we take authority. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and I've had all of the faith of this body here and we haven't seen anything. So is it, do I just need to press in or is it like others say? They're saying, why are you praying for your son to recover? Can't you just accept him for who he is? He thinks differently. His mind works differently. Why in the world are you praying for change? And so I've thought about that. I thought, by the way, this is a very touchy, delicate situation when you're dealing with special needs because there's a large contingent of the community uh, that, that believes that. And so it gets very tricky. I'm wondering, how, how am I supposed to even deal with this? It's like if, you, if, you, if I pray too hard, I stop being grateful for what the Lord's already done. You see what I'm saying? Does that sound heretical when I say I can't pray too hard? I can't stay in that place of pressing in and like trying to move this wall. But... If I'm over here and I just accept everything too hard, then I'm like, I'm giving up in some way. You see what I'm saying? I'm giving up. I don't want to give up. So I honestly didn't know what to do about this until I had a random guy that I used to know that uh, he, he said this to me, basically. He said, you know, I think it's all about seasons. I think it's all about seasons. I think there's times to press in and dive in and remind the Lord, and then there's times to, to sit back and relax and play and love and, and have laughter even right where you are. And I think that's exactly right. But all the time, no matter what individual season you're in, there are things that Paul says here that pertain. Rejoice in the Lord. No matter what situation you're in, if you haven't seen the total breakthrough, you can still rejoice and remember the individual things he's done. And you can still remind him, Lord, I just want you to remember that my son can't speak. I just want you to remember that. In the process of walking through this and trying to figure this whole thing out with Jack, we had something happen a couple of weeks ago that um, was utterly shocking. I got an uh, um, email from my wife in the middle of the day that said, it, she told me that this thing had happened, so I said, I want to go and check this out. So I get home. My son had taken this little red cardboard book. I should have brought the book in. Oh, okay. Forgive me. I've told this testimony to probably about half of you in here right now, so just bear with me. You're going to hear it again. And this is a little red book, and it uh, had these two penguins, uh, you know, like a grown-up penguin and a baby penguin. And he had, for some reason, been so excited about this book that he swiped it from the school library <laughs> and put it in his bag. And he's like, his teacher, that, that's okay. He's like almost trying to hide it. He loved this book. for She said, it's okay, Jack. Yeah, you can take it. It's all right. So he brings it home. And I go up to him uh, on the bed that night because my wife had told me he had said this. And I laid down with him. I said, what's this? And he flips open the book. And he looks at me, and he smiles, and he's like giggling. And he points at the big penguin and then the little penguin, and he said, Jack and Daddy. <laughs> now, I can't really, it's difficult to explain just what a big deal this is, because he does not communicate things like that. He doesn't. 
The only things that come out of his mouth are specific needs right then. And here he is in the very place where I am still feeling the weakest and like the most, like this is this tender spot. Like I love my son for where he's at, but man, I just want, I want him to understand relationship because God created us for relationship. And if we don't have relationship, then something's just wrong. And that's why I continue to pray, even though it offends some people. And here he is. He's, he's pointing and he's saying, Jack and Daddy, saying, Dad, this is us. I get us. I understand us. I understand a bit of relationship here, Dad. You might have thought I didn't get it, but I get this. <laughs> and he's flipping through this book and suddenly it's occurring to me. It's all these things that we do. I love it when we hold hands. I'm thinking about every morning walking to school on the sidewalk and holding his hand. I love it when you tickle me. There's nothing that Jack loves more in the entire universe than being tickled. If you come over to my house, tickle, tickle, tickle. And he says, I love it when you tickle me. And all these things. I love it when you let me help and all these things. And he's seeing our relationship in the midst. And I say, he, he's, he's not all the way there yet, but the Lord just dumped that on us as a total blessing, saying, I'm still working in this boy. Oh. Yeah. You see, it might not happen all at once. We've seen things happen all at once. But remember, Aslan doesn't always come in and just drive the enemies away. Sometimes it takes time, but he has not forgotten you. Amen. Keeping your faith alive, according to Paul, is this. Here's, here's three, three things here that he's putting on that we just read. Practice joy and thanksgiving. Practice them. That's not just a one-time thing. Do it, like you're, do it like you're working out, getting ready for a game. You know, do, do it like you're, pra- you're practicing these things. It's a discipline. Remind him, Lord, we still have this situation and it's still not resolved. I just want to remind you and I'm going to come and ask you again. And I know you hear me. And testimonies are victory songs. Whatever is of good repute or good report, think on these things. We have a fixation nowadays with despair, and I don't know why. This world has a, has a fixation on despair, and it's seeped into so many of a, a Christian culture and the, the younger uh, uh, generation. You see this in blogs and all these things, and nobody ever wants to hear something just good because then someone else comes and goes, well, that didn't happen to me. Well, my friend's still sick, so there as if that negates something. Seek out the testimonies. They're victory songs, and you're going to need them. Think on the good things. You're not ignoring the bad things. Everybody knows the bad things are still there. We talk about them all the time. Seek out the remembrances. Wait a minute. We are in enemy-occupied territory, but we're taking ground from him, and we're moving toward Berlin. In that spirit, I want to ask Mr. Ed Glasby to come forward. You have a victory song. Uh, my oldest brother, he's uh, nine years older than me, was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, and they thought he had Alzheimer's. And so the past three years has been really difficult in watching him just slide deeper and deeper and his thinking not clear. And so he's, he's been to the hospital a number of times, and so 
we just keep praying for him, go out and visit him. And he, he's the kind of brother everybody wished you had a brother like that. He is, he is just a gem. And him and I are very close. And so last Wednesday night, I got a call from Pat, his uh, wife, and she said, well, Ed, he's just freaking out. His thinking's off. He's, he's getting all kinds of delusions. And she said, I think I need to take him into emergency. So I said, well, I agree. So she headed him in there. And normally when he goes in, I go there to be with him because uh, him and I just really have a, a great relationship. And but I really felt in my heart, God say, don't go. And so <clears throat> Pat took him in and they were checking him out and their daughter had came there to the hospital with him. And so I'm sitting there and they started texting me back and forth. And Debbie, the daughter, she texted me and she said, Ed, he's really agitated and just struggling. Uh, and so a few minutes later, she texts back again and she said, Ed, he's, he is just losing it trying to pull the ivy out of his arm, please pray. And guys, I've had God do things in my life at times. And this moment when she said that, I started to get up to go to the hospital. And God said, don't. He said, text a prayer to him. I got out my cell phone and I text God. This is, this is a part of the testimony right here. Ed texted. <laughs> That's a miracle in itself. <laughs> so I simply text, God, I'm asking you to bring peace into Larry's life. Settle the storm. And when I finish typing it in, it's just like God said, Wait. And so I said, Holy Spirit, when I push the send button, I'm asking you to deliver this message in purchase or in person at Riverbend in Larry's room. I pushed the send button. When Debbie got the text on that end, she said, we were just standing around waiting. And so we went over and kind of started to read that prayer over him. And then Debbie stepped out of the room. And Pat called me later, right after that. She said, Ed, Larry, sit up in bed and begin to worship and pray and praise God. And all of a sudden, he said, honey, can you see them? He said, there are angels everywhere. And he described a scene that was unbelievable. He said, there's animals. I see animals. And he said, oh, there's food. Now, my brother loves food, so this really, <laughs> this really got him. He said, there's food. It's like a banquet table. This went on for almost an hour. And Pat, he's explaining to Pat everything he sees. And... So Pat that night called me back, and was, she was just <laughs> rejoicing, to say the least. And so I went out Friday, because I wanted to sit with Larry and, and hear what he saw. And so I got out there. When I walks in the door, his thinking is absolutely crystal clear. He said, did she tell you about the angels? <laughs> and I said, yeah, she did, but I want to hear it from you. And so she went and got her hair done, and I sit with Larry. I said, Larry, 
tell me what you saw. Oh. He said, he said, I don't have words to tell you. I said, well, what were the angels doing? And I'll never forget the look in his face. He turned and he looked at me. And he said, they were dancing and rejoicing. And when he said that, it went beyond any dancing and rejoicing any of us have ever seen. I knew there was something so deep. And he said, there was a lion laying there and a little lamb laying beside him. And he said, the banquet table went forever. And so as we're visiting, he said, you know, it's really funny because he said, when I was in the hospital, he said, I thought I died. He asked Pat, he said, am I dead? <laughs> and she's trying to say no because he's sitting up in bed. He looks fine. <laughs> he, she said, well, Larry, I'm going to get your coat and put it on because I'm going to take you home. They sent him home that night. He goes, why do I need a coat? I'm dead. And so when they got home, he, he is just absolutely living this. He said, Ed, she drove me clear home. When I sit in my chair, I realized I was still alive. I thought I was dead all that time. That's how intense this scene was that he was involved in. Now, I just got off the phone with Pat this morning in the past two days, because Pat and I visited, and, I, and she said, Ed, what is this? I said, well, either God's going to heal him, or he's getting him ready to go home. But I'll tell you one thing, guys, my brother is ready to go home. He, what he saw, <laughs> there's no way to describe it. And so over the past couple days, he's slipped back in his thinking and he's getting hallucinations and stuff. So I'm going to go out this afternoon and I'm going to sit with him and just be there with him and support him. But I'll tell you what, Pat and Larry are ready for that transition. Now, there's a part we're going to miss, but we don't know how long that transition will make. But I want to tell you something. The kingdom of God is so real and what we face at those final moments no one will know how real that is until you get there. But my brother visited something, dear ones, that he was, he was for no way of even describing what he saw. And the peace and the joy that he saw was just incredible. So be praying for our family. But we're in a transition, but I'll tell you what, the faithfulness of God to show him. I tell you what, I said, Larry, do you fear death? <laughs> he laughed. He said, no, I don't fear death. He said, it is going to be something. Amen. Thank you. See what God did there? You see that? See how he broke through a clouded, very troubled, frantic mind and showed him a piece of heaven? He can see that with us too. I want to talk specifically to you guys who have an area that you've so almost given up hope for. And when you mention the word hope in this situation, you wince a little bit. Yeah? So I'll close your eyes. Can I do that? If that's you, can you raise your hand? Okay. 
I want to ask you guys if you'd open yourself up to hope again. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. And we rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice at who you are and how you've shown yourself to be. And in this moment, we remind you of these situations. We remind you of these tender places that we're scared to go again, that we're scared to even start praying for again. We remind you that the things are unresolved. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would rush in right now to these hearts. I pray for the courage, once again, to grab onto hope that you're not finished. He's not finished. And even though we live behind enemy lines, Jesus We know that you're capable of amazing things because we just heard some amazing things that you did. We want to have faith when you come back. We want to continue asking because you're so righteous. And I have the prayer team uh, be ready. If, if If you're there, and, and you're ready to do that, and you need some encouragement, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I want to have the prayer team actually come to you. If you're at a place when you, you feel like you need hope in a situation, I want you to stand. I want you to stand and if, you're, if you're ready for that. If you're not, then I pray that you can take a step toward that this morning. And ask the prayer servant team to begin to go around. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to have you guys do the same. Pastor Joshua already called you out. You're working overtime this morning. I want you guys to go and be praying around and imparting hope. Can we do that? So prayer servant team, I want you just to begin to go. And G Paradigm to begin to go. Robert, can we have just a little bit of music? If you need prayer for anything else, uh, please uh, come forward or stand and we can pray for anything else. But I want to stay here right now. So be blessed and feel free to gather around these guys as well. You're dismissed.